Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see you all here today. This is the place filling up again. We have our evening service. You're welcome to come to that too, if you'd like. Um, but uh, this is an exciting day. Um, I, the message I have was actually confirmed by three different people individually, came to me with prophetic words. And that's why I love the prayer meeting. This prayer meeting in the morning, quarter to nine to quarter past nine. We'd love to have you here. We pray for the church. We pray for you. And uh, we trust God for words. So if I could have uh, Johan, Gary, and Heather come forward, that'll be wonderful. All, all of them um, gave me these words, and I thought it's, it was for, for more than just them. So although um, traditionally Heather would go first, but I'd like her to go last because I think it ties up the other two words. So Gary, why don't you come first and share? You'll see how exciting it is to hear God. I'm just going to open my Bible here. Um, I was doing my devotional uh, this week, and I just shared with Mike that, um, uh, and I think we've shared in in, uh, prayer, too, Mm. about being on mission. And mission is just not, um, well, we're going to go on a mission trip, so we're always on mission. And I was reading this scripture here, uh, Romans 12, 1. So here's what I want you to do. It's in all the message. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to the culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside, readily recognize what he wants from you, and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And the the key thing here is um, God helping you taking your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around and place it before God as an offering. And that's Very our mission. Good, yeah. Everything we do, walk, people we <clears throat> talk to, <clears throat> it's every moment of our life. We're on mission. Wonderful. Wonderful. Johan? I'm not as tall as Gary, so I'll get up here. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I didn't hear Gary's word, but uh, in the last little few weeks, God has just shown me that my life has purpose. And, and I, I've always known that, but, you know, sometimes we tend to think that when we go on this missions trip to Africa, that then we're really going to live out our, our, our purpose uh, that God has for us. Some of us have been on, on, on the, those missions trip and, uh, trips, and we, we're still basking in the glory of that trip. But God just showed me that every single day, each and every one of us has purpose in Him. Mm that the word says that, that we are placed in this place at this time for a very specific purpose. So whether you mm. go to school, whether you go to work, whether you, you're looking for work, you have purpose. Every single day of your life has purpose in God. Just ask him and he will show you. Wonderful, Johan. Hello, you'd like to come up here? Yeah. The best for last. Good morning. Um, 
my heart's up here, but the enemy's just messing with my thoughts right now. But uh, mm. I've just had this word on my heart for the last two weeks, and I tend to go into rebellion when the Lord asks me to speak, so I'm submitting totally today. <laughs> but I've been thinking about who who I am in in Christ, how much he really loves me. And I'll, I'll speak, well, I'll speak for all of you if you want. <laughs> how much he really, really loves me. So I had an experience this week where I was able to do uh, some steps where um, just affirmations of who I am in him. And I was thinking of um, a young man in his early 30s and just starting out in a new career and he's smart and he's talented and he gets killed suddenly. He is murdered or it's a motor vehicle accident and everybody's heart is grieving and he's gone too soon and it wasn't his time to die. And then I think of Jesus, young man in his 30s, going into a new ministry. People loved him. He was a wonderful teacher. He was a friend to his his buddies and his disciples. Uh, he did healings. He, he showed people how to lay hands on and, mm. and heal sick people. Mm. And then I think just a... a a miserable bunch of thugs came and got him and they beat him up and they spit on him and they mocked him and humiliated him and then when they nailed him to a cross physically and when that cross came up all I could see in my head was all my sin all the sin of the world just like went right into him and it says in the Bible he became sin and I think that tells me he became a liar he became a cheat he became a thief an adulterer, a murderer, he took all, that all became into him. And I think, you know, it's one thing to take a bullet for somebody who is forever grateful, who will always thank you, but to die for people that don't know you, that don't like you, that they just don't give a rip about you, I don't know that I could love anybody that much. No offense, honey. But I really don't. <laughs> but I think... That's what God did for, for us, that mm. he sacrificed his son. If we were the only people on the face of the earth at that time, God would have still sent his son Jesus to die for Wonderful. us. And that's how much he loves Wonderful, us. Wonderful, Heather. When I, sorry. No, good. <laughs> well, now she can't stop. It's I don't ever want to leave here on Sunday and check out and then check back in here next Sunday. I have learned so much in this church. I've been coming for six years, and this is where I teach, or where, or where I'm taught. This is where my heart has learned how to grow. You know what? This stays with me all week, and I'm not perfect. Some days it drifts, but I just, if I could wish anything from my heart for you, it's don't, don't leave it here and go out Wonderful. there and then come back here and touch base. Thank you. Very good. Wow. Ooh. So, uh, what do you think my, my uh, sermon title is? Chill out and do nothing? <laughs> the mobilization of the priesthood of all believers. And um, it's just wonderful how God speaks. And uh, last week we had Dave Hago here from um, Australia. And um, if you're part of this church, um, I encourage you to listen to his message on Sunday because 
really, he's a prophetic guy that I've known for a long time. But, but um, he sort of laid out and confirmed a lot of the things that God's been telling us as a church for our future. In a sense, it was a, about a 45-minute prophecy. And, uh, and so it will be online. Um, we'll have a typed version of it too, uh, if you like to go on it. You know, one of the things about the prophetic is um, God, it's an invitation. It's a proclamation, but it's an invitation but just because we got the word doesn't mean that we're doing it. It's an invitation to be activated to walk out what God is saying. And my heart is for this church is that when we reach the end of this year, that we are way further forward in our walk with God, in our impact in the city and the nations and where we are now. So please listen to that. But um, 1 Peter 2, 4 to 12, I'm going to read this um, little passage. Uh, We're going to talk about identity. We're going to talk about authority. We're going to talk about our our role to play in this wonderful adventure in establishing the kingdom of heaven on earth. In 1 Peter 2, 4-12, he says, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, have been built into a spiritual house to be holy, a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone, it's the stone the builders rejected and has become the capstone. A stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, the redeemed ones, and this is the key of this passage for us today, are a chosen people. He's talking about identity here. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Isn't that amazing? Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires that war against the soul. Live such good lives, and this is the other part, we heard about identity, and we heard, now, and we heard about purpose. Live such good lives. In, in other words, it's not in the text, but to create an atmosphere through our lives where the Holy Spirit can work in others. So live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. On the day he visits us, a holy priesthood that in humility remembers where we came from, not from a place of condemnation, but from a heart of gratitude. Paul reminds Timothy in 1 Timothy about his previous life. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't, he doesn't allow it to, the accuser to disqualify him but he uses it as a stepping stone 
into his future. And this is what he says, and some of us may be able to identify with this. This is Apostle Paul sharing a bit of his testimony to Timothy. I wonder if he knew that it would be read by billions of people years later. (laughs) I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful in appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for this very reason, and this is the purpose, he turns this around. He does not allow his past. Uh, Paul would have been similar to a modern day ISIS terrorist hunting down Christians, trying to kill them and persecute them. And so he lived with that, but he didn't allow it to hinder his future. And he says, I was shown mercy, the worst of sinners, that Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, the first thing that will happen when you purpose in your heart tomorrow to shine the light is the accusations are going to come. And the enemy's strategy with the church and with Christians, I believe is simply this. It's a strategy of containment. It's a strategy to contain our effectiveness. And we heard last week that God is wanting to expand our, our effectiveness, not only in Canada, but in the nations that he calls us to. And if this is our sphere of influence in the world, say this little platform, and that's the world out there, uh, he, in a sense, will leave us alone if we stay within this realm. Because he's lost the battle for us. We love God. But the moment we step off this and we're going to advance the kingdom, he comes like a roaring lion. He comes with accusation. He comes with uh, past hurts, unforgiveness, resentment, and all of those things. And he roars like a lion, 1 Peter 5 says. He's not a lion, but he roars like one. And we get back in our box. And often when we get back in our box, it's nice and calm. Oh, this is great. This is the presence of God. It's so awesome. I'm at peace with myself. And we get out there and he roars and say, Oh, I must be doing something wrong. No, it's the exact opposite. And when you understand the strategies of the enemy, which aren't changed, never change, they've always been like that, that he wants to intimidate us and accuse us and contain us as a people. Now, just get over the fact that you're not perfect. Can you tell that to the person next to you? How's that for an encouragement? Number two, tell the person next to you this. It's not about you.
Just rest in that. God knew that. You look at the prophets, you look at the great men and women of faith, and you see God doesn't paper over their weaknesses, but he knows their heart. And he sent Jesus to die for us and set us free so that in our weakness and humility, we can help others along the journey. Heather spoke about identity. We need to be a priesthood who's secure in our identity. Understand that as God's children, we are equal in standing before God. Romans 8, 15 to 17, we find out that we are children of God. We are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. So there's no greater standing before God. We are all equal, co-equal in standing. There are no second-class children. There are no second-class anointings. There's no second-class anything in the kingdom. All equal in standing, but different in function. So we don't function the way, same way. We have a different function in the body of Christ. For example, we have people that come here and put out these chairs. Now I can preach for a long time, and how many of you would like to stand up for the whole preach? One of you, one, Chris, because he puts out the chairs. <laughs> Who would you miss more on a Sunday? The worship team or the chairs? (laughs) You see, we don't understand this. It's an important function. Every function in the body of Christ, every function in the body of Christ is as important as the other, and we will be given an account of how we functioned. Now, Jesus says, if you're faithful with little... He'll give you more, and so on and so on. But we need to understand our value is not in what we do. Jesus didn't die so that we could do stuff for him. If he wanted the world to be saved through him, he would have stayed here. He left it in a hand of broken people whom he had saved and redeemed. Our function, we function out of who we are, a royal priesthood. And every single thing we do, every little child that is being blessed by a Sunday school teacher, every person that is looking out for us, every sound person, no matter whether they are equally as important as everybody else. And I thank God for every single one of them. Do you know in our Sunday school, we have 72 volunteers. They're not all at once, but because of that, we can have more volunteers because it's spread out. Isn't that amazing? You see, that as sons and daughters, we do not strive to earn our Father's approval because we already are approved. We've got to settle that in our hearts. It's not like you play the game, he loves me, he loves me with the flowers. Well, my sister's used to I never did it. Yeah? Loves me, I was a good, I had a good day, I feel good, God loves me. Next day, I didn't do too well, he loves me not. Problem is with that, it's an identity crisis in me. We're almost like schizophrenic Christians, but more than than that, what happens if the last 
little pedal is a love me not. You see, God cannot love you anymore. He cannot give anything more for you. He gave his son. We heard about that. Died on a cross. The value that God puts in you is the value of the price paid for you and I. Think of a creative God that could have created an angel and sent the angel or created something else. He sent his only begotten son. And that value never changes whether you're having a good day or a bad day. He is not like a shifting shadow. He is constant. His love is constant. And if we understand that, instead when we make a mistake, the enemy that accuses us says, run away. But the Father says, run to me. You will know the voice of the enemy in that one simple sentence. What do you do under pressure or when you make a mistake? And God says, run to me. Run to me on a daily basis. You see, equal in standing before God. Equal with Christ. We are co-heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. It is unbelievable. It should rock our minds that God sees us in and through his son, Jesus Christ. Holy and righteous and dearly loved. He says this. Paul speaks of this in Romans 12, 4 to 8. He writes this. Just as each one of us have one body, and we're talking about function now, with many members, and these members do not have the same function. So in Christ, they have the same standing, but not the same function, okay? Because we have this thing, and, and the church has done a bad job of the years of creating this culture of uh, spectators and participators. The church has done that. They've taught people to spectate, but we have this thing is that, you know, I'm, I'm saved now, and I'm just a lowly saint. All I am is a co-heir with Christ, an heir of God. I'm just nothing. But if I do my job really well, I might become a deacon. And if I deek well, I might become an elder. And if I elder well, I might get on an apostolic team or whatever it is. And we have this hierarchical, and somehow... Uh, come and live with me for a week and you'll, you'll see how righteous you are. <laughs> but somehow we have this thing that there's this, I have to wait until I can be used of God, until um, God can use me. And young people don't wait more than another hour after the service to know that God has called you, old people, to be saints, to be holy and righteous to be a royal priesthood that will, through good deeds, glorify God and start stepping into that. It's not a hierarchical, but in function there is hierarchy. Okay, and we will see that. So I have no more of God than you, no more of the Holy Spirit than you. I just have a different function. And Paul lays it out here. We have different gifts according to the grace Given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, oh, that's a sucky one. I don't want to be an encourager. I want to be a prophet. 
I don't have a microphone. Do you know, there are more people here that need an encouraging word from you in this week than they need another sermon. They need to know, come God, who can I encourage today in my office and all over there? If it is encouraged, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, God blesses people to be conduits of his blessing. The Abrahamic covenant. Abraham, I will bless you so that through you the nations will be blessed. Abraham was the conduit, the first conduit through where through which God began to provide his blessing. And God wants us to be conduits of blessing. And it's more than finances. It's encouragement, it's love, it's all of these things. Uh, Let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern, govern diligently. And if it is shown mercy, let him do it cheerfully. See how these gifts, and there's many more. You can read some more, more Ephesians 4. The apostolic gifts, you can read the spiritual gifts in Corinthians 12. But there are many gifts. Gift of administration, there's gift of all of these kind of things that God gifts us with for the extension of his kingdom. Now, servers are called to serve, encouragers to encourage, and we also should do that. And leaders are to lead. So there's a responsibility that God places on leadership, and leadership is important in the body of Christ. Right through the New Testament and the Old Testament, God raised up leaders. The problem is when leaders lead wrong badly. Then we want to throw it all out. So leaders need to govern diligently in humility and encouraging all of those. But my function to the body is no more important than yours. It's just a different one. My standing before God is no different than yours. We are all kings and priests. Are you getting that? I'm glad you are because then you have no excuse from tomorrow. You see, a priesthood that has the privilege of entering the most holy of holies, on a daily basis. If we got a revelation of that privilege, it would be a priority in our lives. It's not a privilege that they had under the old covenant. They could not do that. You and I could not go into the holy. We would be fried like chicken. We would die in that place. But as you read Hebrews, and you read Hebrews chapter he talks about a new and a living way that we have access to God 24-7. And I think because we have access to him like that, we take it for granted. We take it for granted. And we can come before our Father, the King of glory, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, before the triune God and worship on a daily basis. Hebrews 10, 19 to 24. Please read that. I just want to move on a little bit. A priesthood. He's raising up a priesthood who walk by faith in the power of God, understanding that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to us through Jesus Christ. You see, if it's about us, that's why I said it's not about you. 
But if it's about us, we can look in the mirror and say, I have no authority. I have no power. I have nothing to give. Exactly right. In your own strength, you don't. But in Christ, seated with him, you can do all things. You can do all things. Because when you are weak, then you are strong in him. And God wants us to understand that. There is no less or more access for Billy Graham or Franklin Graham or any of your heroes to God than you have and I have. But do we take it for granted? You see, he's called us to be a priesthood who simply go about the works that God's called us to do. These are just bullet points. I'm just trying to get through them quickly. But if you see this, and we could have this up, Burns, uh, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, 8 to 10, sorry. The grace message went out and said, because I'm saved by grace, I can live like I like, do what I like. And that is not true grace. There's an accountability that we have before God to walk by grace but in righteousness and holiness that come from him. And Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. We cannot earn our salvation. Not by works. And everybody stops saying, I am saved now. I can just till out, do what I like. No. This is, the, bot- the top line of this is, Dealing with salvation, the bottom line of this little passage is dealing with working it out. He says, not by works, so that no man can boast that we saved ourselves. But he says, but because we are saved, we are God's workmanship. We are made in the image of God. We have the authority and the same authority and power that Jesus had. We are God's workmanship. And he created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Jesus speaks about those good works in Matthew 25. A cup of water in my name. A visit to a hospital. A visit to a jail. A coat for somebody. A meal for somebody. Those good works... Create an atmosphere for when that person asks why you're doing this, their heart is softened to receive seed. But when the church is judgmental and steps back and uh, checks out, why would they want to hear from us? How many of you know that you're a sinner? Okay, so, so they know that too. Okay, just remember that. You don't have to tell them that. They know it. A royal priesthood consisting of saints, elders, and deacons walking in partnership with authentic apostolic oversight. And we'll talk about that as we go along this in some time. And thereby advancing the gospel. I want to finish with this, and I would love us to worship a short message because... I really felt God wanted to minister to us. A royal priesthood 
priesthood motivated by love. That is what God is raising up in these times. Interesting, Corinthians 13, very scary. We love the love, is patient, love is kind. We all love all of that. But we don't like the first part. That I can prophesy, preach, teach. I can even surrender my body to the flame. But without love, without the agape of God. Now the agape of God, the agape love of God is a love that acts against its own best interests in the interests of others. That's God's love. It acts against its own. It wasn't in God's best interest to send his son to die on a cross. It wasn't um, Jesus' best interest to get on that cross, allow us to do that. He could have brought down angels any time. But he acted against his own best interest. And he began to act in the best interest of others. How many of you have met people like that? Amazing. Mother Teresa is the, more than likely one that laid down her life, acted against her own risk. And there's many examples in this church and, and all over the show. But when we begin to do that, the love of God begins to shine through us. And I want to tell you this, is that you cannot earn God's love and you can't make yourself love. That is of the flesh and you will fail every time. You cannot do it. Romans tells us that God's love, his agape, is poured into our hearts by his spirit. So the more we abide in the vine, and we did a bit of a series on that, the more we stay close to Jesus, the more of his love is manifest in our lives. It's from the inside out, not from the outside. So if you say, I cannot do it, you can't. You cannot do it. Many people struggle to love themselves, let alone anywhere else. And they need to understand the love of God for them and who they are in Christ so they can get healed and set free from that. And so it will just automatically flow. It won't be a mechanical thing. Ten things I've got to prove today that I love God. Feed the dog. Start there. Whatever it is. All of these things, and we check them off. No, it begins to flow as the Spirit begins to rise from the inside out. It just becomes natural. We become naturally supernatural. When we see somebody, God's heart grips us, and we want to help them. Even if they've used and abused us, something happens in our heart because of the love of God that is in us. And if they love God's tank is empty. Don't run out of here and do stuff. Fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with him. Spend time with Jesus. Let him deal with the stuff. Let him heal you. But live for the benefit of others. I tell you, it's so rewarding when we do that. It's so rewarding. We have families here, little in the second row here, these little ones here, they are foster parents, and these little ones are in a safe place. Because of them. There's others doing that kind of thing. Crisis pregnancy center. I don't want to, um, orphanages. People are doing stuff here. And I tell you what, if you speak to them and you ask them, they say it's tough, it's hard, it's draining, but it's so fulfilling. And we're so unfulfilled and we try and fulfill that fulfillment with stuff. Working harder, getting more, getting all of this stuff. Whereas we come to Jesus, we just lay it down, 
to him. If we just come and God, I cannot love. I cannot do that. He loves just honesty. My life sucks, God. Can you help me? Begins to do that and allow the reign of the Spirit to come. Reign of the Spirit to come. And if Sunday is the only time we do that, yes, this will last for a few hours maybe, if we're lucky. Maybe Monday. Although Mondays are normally always bad. But it won't last a week. And we come back. God, I tried that. It's not working. I can't do this. I'm a terrible person. It's not about you. It's about him working in and through you. That's what it's all about. That because Paul says in Corinthians 2, I think, when I came, uh, he says, not many, in Corinthians 1, not many of you were wise by human standards. And he goes on this thing about the foolish and that. And he says, that's so. And then he goes into chapter 2. He did not come with wise and persuasive words. So he says, so that your faith would not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. You see, when we are weak, he is strong, and he gets the glory. God is raising up a faceless church. We see somebody raise somebody from the dead, and everybody wants to follow them. And then they become the big cheese and write books about it, and and that's all good. I don't worry about that. But God wants you to do that. And God wants nobody to know who did it except him, Jesus Christ. Listen to the apostles. They were horrified when they did miracles and people tried to make them gods and all of that. No, 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 no. It's him. It's him. It's him. When you find a people that he can trust, he's going to begin to pour out his spirit like never before. I believe that. You see, God is raising up a servant army. And some of these are from our Davies in my notes there. Who have a deep passion and love for people, for the cities and for the neighbors and the nations. A people who create an atmosphere, not simply by their words, but through love and good deeds, that softens and prepares the heart to receive eternal seed. You see, I believe once the seed is planted and takes root, it's eternal. But when the seed falls on hard ground, on all of these other things, it's stolen. The enemy cannot steal eternal seed that has been planted in good soil and begins to grow. And we, to come around people, and as they receive that seed in their heart, we, we water it with love and care and nourishment. We help them along it so it takes root and it begins to bear fruit. Corinthians, Paul, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is taking his first two few chapters to sort out a major argument about the church, who's the best, who they follow, and it's crazy, and he he says, listen guys, that's not what it's all about, it's not about me, or Apollos, or Cephas, and he goes into this here, 369, I planted the seed, so I had the privilege of planting the seed, but Apollos came after me. And he watered that seed. How did he water it? With love, encouragement, with those kind of things. But it was God that makes the seed grow. We are not responsible 
for the seed to grow, we are responsible to create an atmosphere, an environment where the seed can take root in good soil. We're responsible to water that through love and good deeds and allow God to make it grow. A divine partnership. So you see, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers, we are God's field, God's building. If I could have the worship team come up, and I just want to finish with this last, last few words. You see, the biggest threat to the kingdom of darkness in the city and in the nations is a priesthood who would dare to believe who they are in Christ and the authority they have in Christ. So it's not the pastors running around and my friend said, can you pray for him? Instead of you saying, hey, my friend was in hospital, I prayed he's healed. Wow, that's a cool. Wouldn't that be a cool call? Or um, my friend got saved. Do you have a, I was talking to him, got saved, and now can we, do we have a foundations course and all of this kind of thing? Being what we heard today, being out there with purpose and authority. And he says, we, uh, a, creative, uh, uh, a creative revival inspired by a creative God, an army of living stones. A royal priesthood rising up in this generation, chosen by God the Father, saved and commissioned by God the Son, empowered by God the Holy Spirit, and advancing the gospel, changing atmospheres wherever they go. Church, why not us? Why not us? If you're bored with your life and you're bored with your Christianity, it's your fault. That's that, that is about you. We have the resources of the kingdom at our disposal, church. If we will get this, we begin to walk at this, we'll see testimonies all over the city of the goodness of God. And if somebody lives on the other side of town and they're close to a church and it's a good church, a life-giving church, unless they want to come here, send them there. We are building the kingdom. We love the churches in the city. We want to see them all grow. If they come from another area and there's a closer church, whatever it is, it's not about filling this building. It's about being the priesthood of all believers, taking what we have to our neighbors and the nations. And I want to pray for you for one moment, if you don't mind, because one of the things I sensed is a weariness on people. Word of God says, do not grow weary from doing good, for in a proper time you will reap a reward. But there's a weariness that comes. And I think a lot of that weariness is because we're trying to work this out ourselves. We advance the kingdom one step at a time. And I believe that if we learn to wait upon the Lord, truly wait upon Him, 
Mastaria put on Hillsong worship because I'm not a, I can't play like these guys or Jesus culture, doesn't matter. Hymns. But songs that focus on Jesus. And just begin to allow the things we need that love. Don't try and forgive in your own strength. You're just going to mess yourself up. Give it to Him. Let Him remind you of what He forgave you of. Not for condemnation, but for gratitude. Everything that you can't do in your own strength, He can do in and through you. And if we're not abiding in the vine, if we're not connected to the vine, if we're not spending time with God, it's like this beautiful bunch of grapes on the vine and we snip it off and we put it on the table. You know, it looks beautiful for a while and then it shrivels up. And that's what happens to us when we don't abide. So this is not about doing stuff. This is about coming to Jesus. Because when we hear his heart, our hearts will be changed. So let's just abide for a little while. And if you're weary, just be honest with God. If you're angry, you know, I love David. I wasn't afraid to be honest. And God knows your heart. Have these conversations with him. You hurt. You've been used, abused. God understands that and he weeps for you. The more you try to do it in your own strength, the more messed up you become. But if you surrender all, if you surrender all today, church, if you give it to Him and when they come, give it again. If we begin to spend time in His presence, allowing just like it is now, the Holy Spirit to begin to wash over us, the anointing to come and break yokes, God is in the process of restoration. He wants to restore burnt stones back to the wall. He wants to bring in the lost, the hurt, the lonely, and restore them. These are not times to look back. These are not times to live in the past. These are times to walk in our future. The times, the, the, the times in a sense, demand it. That the light of God will shine on this world through us. And that the glory of the Lord will cover the whole earth. If we are looking to politicians or looking to men or looking to anything else, we will fall. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, He enables us to get up and run again. You know, in a marathon, many people get halfway through and they get, they stop. And when we do that, I just see in our walk of life, I see the Jesus next to us saying, you can do it. Get up again. Doesn't matter how long you waited. Get up again. I'm here. Get those things that are entangling off you. Go and read Hebrews 12, the beginning. Fix your eyes on me. And let's do this this morning, church. Otherwise, we get overwhelmed. Come, Holy Spirit, come.
this morning, I, I just had a little a fleeting conversation, and I just said, you know, 20 years ago, when Mark and I arrived here, and we um, planted the church, when God planted that seed to plant a church, we did not think, honestly did not think. We just thought, wow, let's do it. And yet now, 20 years later, when God asks me to do a little thing, I try and fathom it out with my mind, and I can often speak myself out of doing that thing that the Lord has actually asked me to do. And I stand before you very vulnerably, because I just feel like in my own heart, I felt I had lost my first love. And I just feel that we can become so, like you said, Mike, we, we do these things. We do persevere. And in Revelation, Jesus is speaking to the church at Ephesus. And he says, you have persevered and you've endured hardships um, for my name. And you have not grown weary. And there may be others here today that are doing the right thing. You are worshiping Jesus. You are doing. You have not grown weary. You are still persevering. But you have lost your first love. And my prayer this morning has been, Father, may the fire of God consume me again. I am in love with Jesus. I have not forgiven. I have not forgotten who He is. I am passionate about my Savior. But you know what I have started to do? I've tried to think Him out. <laughs> you know, when He, like I said, asked me to do a little thing, I try and work out everything, and then I basically speak myself out of doing that little thing that He's actually asked me to do. And my prayer this morning, if I may just pray over us, is that the fire of God would once again consume us. That our first response will not be, oh, well, let me try and think about this. But let my first response be, yes, Lord, here am I, send me. Amen. Can I pray that way? Father, we love you. We thank you for what you've done for each and every one of us. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came from heaven, he came to earth to show us, <laughs> to show us the love of the Father and to show us just your love, your great love that you have for us. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us, that you are here with us, that you breathe over us, you dance over us, you sing songs of joy and songs of deliverance over us. And Father, I just pray that as a community this morning, at once again, our hearts would be set ablaze for you. That, Father, there is no task that is too much or too big. Father, may the first words come, Yes, Lord, here I am, send me. So, Father, I just thank you that where there is weariness, that we do not look to our feet, but that we would lift our heads, because you are the lifter of our heads. And I, Father, that we would look to you. We look to the mountains because that is where our strength comes from. So, Father, I thank you just for fresh, fresh, fresh winds to blow upon us in this place today. I thank you, Lord God, for your anointing that enables, that quickens us, Lord, that strengthens us. And, Father, I thank you. I just thank you for your wonderful love. And I thank you for your grace and your strength. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.